Hey everyone, this is David Hose, and you're listening to the Modern Attention Podcast, where I bring together D2C marketers and other experts to tell their stories about personal, professional, and brand growth. I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the latest episode of the Modern Attention Podcast. I'm excited to introduce you to today's guest, Kristen LaFrance. Kristen is the head of the Resilient Retail team at Shopify, where she's helping retailers that have been hit hard by the pandemic. She's also been affectionately called the mayor of DTC Twitter, and frankly, she's just an all-around kind person. In today's episode, we talked about her personal journey into DTC and then on to Shopify Retail and the lessons she's learned there. We talked about her perspectives on the relationship between DTC and retail, and we talked about her views on the role of data in commerce today. It's a really value-packed episode, and frankly, it was really fun to record. I'm really excited for you to hear it. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Well, Kristen, thanks so much for coming on the show. This is super fun. Um, excited to finally connect with you. Uh, in, well, not in person, but virtually. <laughs> as close and, as we can possibly get. Yeah, totally. And I'm kind of jealous. I see you uh, doing stuff in Colorado and I grew up there. So <laughs> I'm always uh, kind of uh, living through your, uh, your posts of Colorado stuff. <laughs> Well, good. Well, good. <laughs> awesome. Well, uh, where I wanted to get started today is just to kind of talk about your background in D2C. I mean, you're at Shopify now, uh, mm-hmm. and you've done some stuff with retention in the past. What's your What's your backstory? How did you get to where Oof. you are today? Really weird career story I've got. Um, so I graduated college now about four and a half years ago. I majored in public relations in college which I was very much like I did marketing and that went through the business school. And then I was like, yeah, I really didn't like statistics and accounting. Um, so then I went over to the PR, uh, PR major because I went through a journalism school. And I've always been a pretty avid reader and writer. I've always loved writing. I've always kind of had a talent in writing. So when I saw that that was a major I could do where I was basically taught just how to write really well into a certain kind of format. So I, I graduated four years ago. In my last year of college, I was actually a division one gymnast through college, had a really tough career. The very last year I retired um, for medical reasons. And then, you know, being someone who was used to training 20 hours a week on top of regular school, all that free time kind of got to me. So um, I also immediately just went into like adulting panic and was like, I must get a job right now. So in college, I actually had a part-time job with a small marketing agency where I was running social media for all of our clients. That's really where I got my start was in in the social media side. And I think I just always been attracted to the ability to bring people together around a certain idea by using content, by using the combination of visual and writing. And it kind of just worked for my skill set. From there, I was then hired full-time on that agency um, and thrown directly into marketing coordinator position. Um, Actually, the girl who trained me was there for two weeks. And she put her two weeks in the same day that I started. So she trained me on everything marketing <laughs> as quickly as one could be trained and then kind of left me. So I had about five different clients who were all e-commerce clients and I was running all of their email marketing, um, content marketing and social media marketing. So even though I had a team of freelancers from pretty much day one of my career, I was just kind of like thrown into e-commerce and like, here, go figure it out for our clients. Cause we're not sure what we're doing. Um, from there, then I ended up at another e-commerce platform, a really small one, but I spent two years there uh, and I came in and there was basically no marketing done. So I was the second marketing hire there and they had no content marketing or anything. And they were really the target market for that company was 
very small single entrepreneurs who are starting a store. And I basically built up the blog from day one to when I left. And I was started as social media manager, left as content manager. Again, just getting back into this idea of I could always really relate to an entrepreneur mindset. I could always really relate to someone wanting to chase a dream that is a little bit off the cuff and crazy. Uh, my parents weren't super stoked about me going straight into the startup world right after college. Um, and, and so being able to just take my career in a direction where I knew that my way of thinking and my way of pulling together words could then impact somebody else to make their dreams. So in those kind of two experiences, I found really quickly, like, this is what I'm good at and what I'm passionate about. And for me, that's a really important combination is I have to be very passionate about my work or I get uh, very in my head really quickly. So I spent two years there and then I went to Churnbuster. That's where I was right before Shopify. And I spent two years at Churnbuster. And that's where like a lot of my kind of marketing career-ness came together in this really magical way. We spent about nine months marketing specifically to B2B SaaS companies. And I was the first marketing hire, the second hire of the entire company. And we basically had to build up, again, I went into what I knew. I knew that content worked. I was trained in inbound marketing. So I built up the entire kind of content machine at Churnbuster. It was a product that needed a lot of education. So content made sense. Um, but about six months in, we did an integration with Recharge. And then all of a sudden we did a webinar with Recharge. And I'm sure a lot of marketers kind of know this experience, but you're kind of like grinding and you're doing all these campaigns. You're getting little wins, little wins. And then you do something and it just clicks. And that was this webinar with Recharge. And it was the first campaign we had ever done where like we had 50 leads right after that, that webinar. And it was oh, like, wow. oh, and for the whole company, we just had this moment of like, oh, we're selling to the wrong people. Like this product is actually, it's much easier understood and needed by D2C companies. So we made this 180 degree pivot on our marketing. Uh, two weeks before my wedding, I created this like email course for D2C let it go while I was at my wedding and honeymoon um, because that's how I work. Just like kind of a crazy marketer. Uh, <laughs> so we did all of that. Oh, sorry. Before I keep going, David, can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Hold on. Can you hear me better now? Uh, it sounds the same. Okay. Sorry. I just saw my mic was like not on and I freaked out because this happened before. I'll keep yeah. going. <laughs> um, so yeah, it turned out we were doing that. And so we made this 180 degree pivot into the D2C community. And basically at that point, my job was, okay, Kristen, go figure out what this community needs, what they're talking about in, in forms of retention, because that's what our tool really solved and how you can kind of add to the community and market this tool to them, because we need to understand who these merchants are and what they actually need. So I spent my last kind of year and a half at Churnbuster doing that. Um, that's where I got my start in podcasting. It was about... I think a year and some months into my role at Churnbuster. And um, when I had first started, my boss, Matt Goldman, they had been in a podcast world before. They had said, you know, I think a podcast might be a cool thing to do. Would you ever want to do it? And I'm pretty sure I like quite literally laughed at him in the face and was like, <laughs> not, like, no, that's just not what I do. Like I stay behind the computer. I type the words. Nobody knows who I am. That's my comfort zone. But eventually, about that year and some, some months later, we came around to this idea where I was looking at the community and I was finally writing and I was talking to people. And it just became so clear that, that retention was something that was so difficult to just kind of write about because it's not like acquisition where you can see everything on the outside. So you're having to get into these conversations with people to really understand how companies are thinking about it 
And I just had this aha moment where I was like, oh, we got to do the podcast now. And so a year after I had like kind of laughed in the face of my boss saying, hey, you should do a podcast. I came back and I was like, hey, we should do a podcast. So that's where Playing for Keeps came from. Uh, Playing for Keeps was a show completely about D2C retention. We ran for two incredible seasons. It was such a wonderful show. It was so amazing. That's where I really got to kind of connect with everybody in the D2C community. I, I kind of got the namesake, the mayor of D2C Twitter during that time. And once those two seasons started coming to a close, um, then I ended up moving on to Shopify. And that has been a crazy ride. I've been at Shopify now since July. And basically Resilient Retail was already kind of an idea they had in the bank. It was going to be a series of virtual events. Um, Harley was going to host it, which just like if you can imagine showing up to work on day one and you're like, hey, I'm here. And my boss now, Matt Nelson, was like, oh, hey, here's the project. By the way, you're taking over for Harley. Um, so kind of like a crazy little world that I got thrown into. But uh, yes, yeah, so I've been here since July and Resilient Retail just recently launched this fall, which is our brand new podcast that is hosted by me. And yeah, that is my weird little bumpy career story, which is a lot of I think defined by being thrown into crazy things and just figuring it out as I go. Nice. Are there any sort of um, through lines or like lessons you feel like are kind of the big takeaways from being thrown into that and having to adapt, um, you know, any sort of big, um, I don't know, things that maybe looking back, you would have given advice mm -hmm. to your younger self about, um, you know, getting where you are now. Yeah. I think the biggest thing I've learned again and again, and I learn it almost every week still as we're going through this new podcast is like, it's okay not to know what you're doing and it's okay to be a beginner. In a lot of facets, it's actually a really big benefit to be a beginner. And you have all these kind of fresh perspectives. You haven't been taught by what the industry standards are. You don't know the benchmarks. And so going into a project where you kind of have no idea what you're doing is obviously so terrifying. And for me as like a perfectionist and a control freak, I really didn't like it. But what I found again and again is that if I just go in with a mindset of, well, I'm just going to learn and I'm going to try to do the best I can for the people that in the end I am serving, then I'm going to be okay. At least if I'm going in with the right intentions, I'm going to be okay. So, you know, I've always said this, if I could go back like five years to myself, I would just say like, you know, you actually have a really smart, beautiful brain and you can trust it even if you don't know what you're doing and it's okay to learn in public and it's okay to fail in public and to keep learning in public. And also, I, I think one of the biggest things for me, I also have a lot of social anxiety that I worked through a lot in this community is basically brought me out of my shell into becoming a podcast host. Uh, when I talk to like my high school friends or my mom, they're all like, who are, how did this happen? Like I was just <laughs> never somebody that this would have happened to. And, and I think it's just that, I hit a point in my career where I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to reach out. Orndorff, when I was a young content marketer, was kind of like my idol. And one day I was just like, I'm just going to message him on Twitter. And now him and I are really close and we can talk and I can ping him questions. And he's like shouted me out for my work before I've, I've gotten to interview him. So I, I think the biggest lessons I've learned through all of that are one, not being so afraid of being new and unknown in something, because if you go in with the right intentions and I'm like an avid, like I will take in as much information as possible, I'm able to do those things. Um, and then secondly, like just 
reaching out to people and leaning on community and talking to other people because it's such a cliche, but that, that phrase like a rising tide lifts all ships is something that I've seen again and again in my career that as I help other people or I reach out to other people, it seems we all kind of rise up together. And that to me has been the most beautiful thing about kind of the D2C community, the Twitter community we found, um, which led me right into where I'm at, which is a crazy point in my career. That's awesome. So what do you feel like, um, you know, I, I think you're in more of a strictly D2C world prior to going to Shopify, but I mean, Shopify yeah. is kind of known for the D2C side of things, yeah. but of all things, you're uh, focusing <laughs> on the retail side, uh, which I don't know if a lot of people initially think, oh, Shopify and retail. So can yeah. you talk a little bit more about um, kind of what drew you to that in particular? And um, yeah, just go in whatever direction with that. Yeah, for sure. It, it was a little bit of a weird decision. And, you know, when I was trying to decide what I was going to do next, I had options. And some of those options were to stay very strictly in the D2C space. Um, I, I think I have this almost desire to be uncomfortable, even though it seems like I, I don't normally like it on surface level. You look at my career, like just talking through it, I like to be thrown into things that, I, uh, that seem new, that I don't know what I'm doing. And so, you know, when Matt Nelson reached out to me and said, hey, I have this project and I'm building this retail team. At first, I, my, I was just like, oh, like D2C is my thing and D2C is kind of the anti-retail. But then the more I thought about it and the more I looked at it, one, D2C is not like anti-retail at all. A lot of D2C brands are going into retail and vice versa. And a lot of what we do in D2C is taken from the retail presence. It's taken from how commerce was done in person before, and we're just trying to create it online. And, and so then I saw this opportunity to just, you know, I went from B2B SaaS to D2C, and I found so many cool things along the way of transcending two industries that I just thought this was kind of the perfect rounding out of my, my career in this moment was if I can understand both the D2C side and help people on the e-commerce side, and also understand the physical retail one-on-one -on -one in a store, how you design a space, how you go about creating kind of this omni-channel presence, then I can be of assistance to more and more entrepreneurs and I can help more people. And again, going back to that idea that I always just wanna be helping people and I want whatever I'm doing to help somebody find their dream. And really looking at the retail space this year has been, you know, 2020 has been a complete shit show for everybody. But you imagine for a brick and mortar merchant who's never had to think about e-commerce before, who probably doesn't even know what D2C means, and they're having to enter this whole world, which like you and I know, e-commerce is the furthest thing from being simple. That's why there's so many of people like me just blabbing our mouths off about how to do it better, <laughs> um, that I just saw this opportunity to take what I had learned in the D2C space and bring it to these merchants and also learn myself about their side because then I could bring that back over to the D2C community. And it almost just felt like this kind of perfect storm of like, you know, when you get those gut feelings that you're just like, oh, this is it. Like, I remember I was like physically sweating and like when I was talking to Matt and like when I was talking to my husband, like my heart was racing and I was just like, this is something I really care about. And like these merchants, you know, and then from a very strictly marketing perspective, you know, I went and I did my due diligence and said, okay, if I'm going to be creating content for retail merchants, what, what am I up against? What am I competing against? And I did all that background research and found really quickly that there was this massive hole in content where there's all of these podcasts for e-commerce and all these membership sites and blogs and all of this. 
And there's just not all that much that's focused on brick and mortar retailers. And even we talk about e-commerce on the podcast more than even just the strict brick and mortar because of the pandemic, but there's not something that frames it for them in a way that they can really understand. So all that coming together. Um, my husband also, my husband and I also have this really weird dream of like opening up a cafe one day. So all these things kind of came together in this perfect storm of like, I've always wanted to work for Shopify. Shopify kind of is the dream for someone like me who wants to help entrepreneurs. That's the entire mission of the company. And combined with, I get to kind of start at the ground level. The, the point of sale system is new with Shopify. So we're building everything up right now. And all of this stuff, I get to learn with my guests and also bring my expertise to it. It was just kind of a no-brainer at that point where I was like, this is this is the next step in my career. It felt like the big step that I was really looking for. That's awesome. What do you think are, um, I mean, I definitely see what you're saying with, there are definitely some similarities between e-com and uh, retail, but what, do you, mm -hmm. what are some of the things I think the, that you've found so far that um, I guess maybe are more in common than people think at face value? Yeah, it's, it's actually surprising. Um, and it's a trend that I've seen throughout my entire career. A lot of what I wrote about D2C customer retention was based on what I wrote about SaaS customer retention. And it just these theories kept pulling over and pulling over and yet like the framing needed to be different and the examples are different and the way it's executed is different. But the same happened going from D2C then into retail. I think the biggest things are kind of the two of the things I have said most often in D2C, which is one, the customer experience is the most important thing of all time. And two, it's not always about quantitative data. And those two things I keep hearing again and again from these merchants is, you know, stores are focused 100% on building a shopping experience. Especially you think about like a boutique retail store um, in, in the streets of a small town USA, like their entire purpose is to be there for the community. They think about how they design their store, how they do the layout, how where the cash register sit, cash registers, cash registers sit. Yeah. We got, you got like a, a real Kristen audio there. Uh, <laughs> um, all these things they think about when someone walks into my store, is the experience good enough to get them to buy something? And then when they leave, are they going to come back next time they walk by my store? So these are really the fundamentals that retail thinks about that D2C has kind of quickly taken online and said, okay, we're gonna put our stuff online. But a lot of what I've worked with brands on is building that experience, is building, okay, think of your online store as a store. If someone were to walk into your online store, what is that experience like? And, and so I think that is the biggest similarity I've, I've seen between the two kind of industries is at the end of the day, how the customer experiences your brand and your space and your shop and your product is the most important thing. And then what I said secondary is that quantitative data is not always the end all be all. And in D2C, we love, we love data. We love our metrics. You can measure almost anything. There's even arguments about how to measure it right, how to measure it wrong. And we make almost all of our marketing decisions and retention decisions and product decisions on that data. But a lot of times what brands are missing is that qualitative data. It's the conversations with customers. It's the one-on-one -on -one dialogue. It's really understanding who am I selling to on a deeper level than the numbers on the other side of the computer. And retail has this advantage, which I keep talking to these merchants about, that when somebody walks into your store and is looking around and trying on clothes or whatever it is, 
you're constantly gathering qualitative data. So you see the strength in these stores is often less about quantitative data, more about what they know about their customers, what they know about the community, what people are telling them when they come in. Um, I had an interview with uh, Steph Laposta. She owns a really small retailer in Toronto. And she was talking about, you know, a lot of times people know, you know, the, the shop dog better than they know me. And I know their dog better than I know them, but they come in to like have the dog meet our dog. And it was just this beautiful reminder that when you're doing business, whether it's online or offline, at the end of the day, the humans are what decide your fate. And so remembering to look at qualitative data alongside the quantitative data that is so important is just, it's what separates brands. What It's what makes, you know, a J. Crew versus a Mack Weldon is you see the personalization, you see the understanding of people. And those two things have been very, not necessarily surprising, but really I guess almost like heartwarming to see that D2C came from trying to take an in-person shopping experience and put it online. And the kind of same lessons are passed between the two. And if anything, D2C can learn a lot from retail. Retail can obviously learn a lot from D2C because they're all having to go into e-commerce. But those two lessons of you know engaging customers and then not thinking about engaging customers, creating a good customer experience, and not thinking just on quantitative data have been the, the two big lessons that every time I talk to somebody, it comes up again and again and again. And it just becomes very clear that commerce is meant to be about the human-to-human -human interaction, no matter where it's happening. Definitely. No, I've, I think I've seen that too. Customer experience is huge. Um, and mm -hmm. you know, going back to the qualitative stuff, I think um, that's where I think I've seen a big shift towards brand or at least yeah. maybe a rebalancing back out. I think numbers are good, but I think yeah. for a while there was just an emphasis like only on the numbers, like data only. And now I think it's maybe leveling back out. So it's, you know, yes, we should have some quantitative information, but we should also have some qualitative and we need to um, make sure that they're in sync and they're talking to each other. Yeah. And we're not just like throwing one out uh, for the sake of the other one. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Well, are there um, any other sort of, I guess, big lessons or convictions that you've developed over the course of your career that um, you feel like would help um, merchants out there today? Yeah, I, I think, and this is something that I think a lot of people have heard me say before, um, but it's something that I, I haven't talked about recently, especially on, you know, in a public forum, which is this statement that I kind of pulled out of a lot of playing for keeps episodes, which is customers before metrics. And it's what we're talking about. What you're saying is this finding a balance between the qualitative and the quantitative. What I mean by customers before metrics is not that one is necessarily better than the other, but your focus has to start at one before it can start at the other. So like you're saying, we had this whole kind of boom of D2C where we saw these growth at all costs, throw money at the problem, keep chasing the numbers, keep chasing the ROAS on ads, don't really think about retention. Sure, we've got a community, but like, are they spending money? Um, all of these things, you know, go look at the stories about Outdoor Voices and Casper um, in a way, all of these things we're seeing is that when you just chase the numbers and you kind of forget about the actual human on the other side of the computer who's making the purchase, who's receiving the product, and then going to use the product in their normal life, then you can kind of be chasing the wrong things. And, and that conviction is one that's become really, really strong for me. And I think 
even going throughout different industries is something that I just keep seeing, you know, we're seeing this idea of resilience versus resistance in retail. Um, you know, the J. Crews, the Macy's, the Dillard's, the companies that are kind of struggling right now have been so resistant to change for so many years. They haven't wanted to do online. They thought of it as a, you know, kind of a strategy that was a potential they could do one day, but eh, like we can still kind of dictate how our customers shop versus the resilient ones who are saying, okay, this is how our customers are shopping now. They want, they want curbside pickup. They want local delivery. Um, on the D2C side, they want us to stand for a mission. They want us to see a brand. They want to connect. They want to know who the founder is. They want to know where our money is going, where our profits are going, what our cash flow is like. These are all things that customers now want to know. And the resilient retailers, both in the online and offline, are the ones who say, okay, we hear you. We hear our community because we're talking to you. And so it's, it's this kind of overall conviction that yes, data will tell you a lot of times whether this button or that button was a better option, but it might not actually tell you what your customers care about or you know when they put on their sweatshirt from Outdoor Voices, what it makes them feel like. And at the end of the day, that's gonna be, your customers decide your success. Your customers are the ones buying and buying again and making you money. And we feel a lot of times as D2C businesses kind of like we're in control of the experience. We're trying to push our customers a certain way or have them do some certain action. But sometimes you just have to kind of take a step back and say, okay, but let's let our community and let our customers dictate how we continue to grow because then we know we'll grow in a profitable way, a sustainable way, because we're actually serving humans with what they need and what they want. And, and that's something that I just, it, it, no matter how many brands I talk to, the ones that are extremely successful that, you know, I, I posted on my Instagram and a random friend is like, oh, I love their shirts. It's always the ones that are focusing on community first and focusing on customers first and then letting the metrics follow. It's, it's really this idea of if you serve people, you serve the people who want to be served by your products and your brand, the metrics you're seeking out are going to follow. The repeat purchase rate is going to go up. Your acquisition costs are going to go down because you're understanding how to talk to people, how to sell to them, how to give them value, and then how to bring them back again and again. So I think that's, that's my biggest conviction. And I think it summarizes just about like every little lesson that I have here and there into the one thing that is no matter what channel you're looking at, no matter what content you're looking at, no matter if it's ads or unboxing or website conversion rate, making sure you step into the foot of your customer or have them actually just tell you straight up how they think about it by talking to them and focusing on them first so that everything else that follows is an iteration of that. Right. Sounds, I mean, basically leaning much more towards like authentic, organic, real relationships rather yeah. than trying to engineer a bunch of impersonal numbers, which I think exactly. sometimes the, the data side can go too far into like, we're going to engineer success. And it's like, yeah. maybe success is just being like that small town shop owner who just knows every one of his customers or her customers and uh, can like, you know, pull things off the shelf that's uh, a mm -hmm. good fit for them. And, you know, that their reputation is really dependent on the quality of that uh, experience that they give day in and day out. Yeah, it's really, it's really about going back to what marketing and sales and commerce always was supposed to be about, which was less so starting with a product and then trying to kind of force it into customers, 
is more starting with a customer need and coming up with a product that solves it and solving the customer. And that's what, you know, you think about Main Street in, you know, 100, 200 years ago, that's what this was all about. People were going, walking, they knew who was selling the core and they knew who sold the bread. They knew who did this and that. They knew how they grew it, where they grew it, where they lived, what their family was like. It's always been the basis of commerce, but being online, it, it became really easy to do it the opposite way, right? There were what some people call the golden years of D2C, which I completely disagree that those were the golden years, was you, know, you could pay Facebook five dollars and get a ten dollar customer really quickly and so that led the industry to kind of go in the direction of growth at all cost and hey we came up with this product and so now let's find a way to get it in front of customers versus hey we felt a pain point from a customer or even you know from a personal person uh, just thinking about you know my conversation with jonathan jonathan the founder of me undies which was like a year and a half ago but i will always remember his story of you know, he was walking around a department store and going, like, I can't find the same underwear again and again. And the ones that I find, like, they're kind of uncomfortable and they don't fit and they don't feel like me. And he created MeUndies out of that actual human need versus saying, you know, I think the world needs some, like, fun printed underwear and then we're going to go figure out who we sell it to. Mm -hmm. and, and just that lesson of getting back to the heart of commerce and why we sell things to people, I think is really important. And you're seeing kind of this you know, th there's a lot of bad stuff that's happened this year, but 2020 has woken everybody up to the fact that we have to shift back. We have to get back to human connection because we all really, really need it right now. And consumers have more power than ever. And they are with their wallets deciding how our, how our societies and cultures are moving forward. And the data is proving that it's about local shopping. It's about independent businesses. It's about knowing where your money goes. Um, yes, there are things like baggies that I'm probably just going to go to my local grocery store and buy the Ziploc baggies that I've bought for years. But now when I'm looking for something like sweatpants, I'm thinking about, okay, but are there microplastics in the sweatpants that I'm buying? And can I buy from a company who that money is going to help an actual entrepreneur versus a very large corporation? And so these human to human connections are just, they're just being continually blown up in importance. And well, I think we'll just keep seeing it into 2021. I don't think this is a short trend. I think this is a lifelong change in commerce that consumers just want more connection from people. So always getting back to the heart of why are we doing, what are we doing? Why are we selling the products we do? And what are they, what are they actually truly giving our customers? Because a lot of times, like a new pair of leggings is not about buying a new pair of leggings. It's about buying a new version of yourself that you feel strong and athletic and fit to go to a new spend class. All of these things are really important to think about. So always coming back to this idea in everything you're doing, every decision, frame it around, you know, are we thinking about our customers or are we thinking about our metrics? Definitely. Well, I think like one thing that I like to harp on is um, optimizing for the long-term rather than just the short-term. And I, I, yeah. I see some alignment there between, <laughs> um, you know, when you're just trying to uh, optimize for the short term, you are going to look more at all the all the metrics and just try to like pour cash into something that you think might, uh, you know, engineer some growth. But ultimately, if you're thinking long term, you're going to think more about relationships, things that are harder to build, but that withstand the test of time a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. I think Outdoor Voices is one of my favorite examples of this. I'm 
I've been very publicly in support of Outdoor Voices. I think 90% of my closet is Outdoor Voices clothes. I love the company. I love their mission. I love their products. But we saw, I think it was like last year sometime or early this year, we saw this report come out that they were just hemorrhaging cash and things are not looking good and they were not profitable. And a lot of it came down to when you really looked at it, Outdoor Voices had a really good community on the surface, but they hadn't really thought about the long game because they built a community within a demographic that couldn't afford their prices at a repeat purchase rate. So they were thinking about what is the quick win here? And the quick win was get Gen Z to buy our products, to post on Instagram, to post on TikTok, to be in love with the leggings. We've got the cool color block. But then it kind of all came crashing down at one point, you know, even opening a store in Soho and all of these really big cities was a quick win, but maybe not so much a long-term win. I remember when I was trying to analyze that situation because again, I love the brand. And so seeing that those numbers was like, oh, I've really touted them as this like retention king before. And it came down to, they were focused on the short-term wins. Mm -hmm. They were focused on getting the Instagram posts and getting the community that looked good and getting the stores in New York where it felt like just because it's New York, that was the right place. But if it was me, I would have thought more tactically about that community they were building was mostly college-aged women and their leggings are almost $100. And at that price, you're probably getting into the argument of, do I go with this new brand Outdoor Voices or do I go with Lululemon, who I know are you know very sturdy leggings, they're $20 more. And so they didn't really balance the two. They didn't think about you know, could a store in Boulder, Colorado have actually done better because those are the people that are buying their clothes on repeat versus Soho because it seemed better on a press press stage. And again, these are things I'm speculating. I don't know the ins and outs of the company, but it's what we see a lot in D2C is focusing on those longer term wins that are harder to get and you don't get as exciting like press coverage and your roller coaster is not so much like this. It's just kind of like a steady, steady climb. It's a hard decision to make, but oftentimes it's the right decision is, you know, if you want your business to be around in three to five years and you don't want to still be flying by the seat of your pants, then you've got to kind of do the hard work at the beginning, which is the long-term wins, letting things simmer, really finding the right audience, talking to them, making sure they can afford your repeat purchases and, and all those things that, you know, in five years will make your business successful. Mm -hmm. But as an entrepreneur, you just got to look and say, what is my goal? Is my goal to build fast and, and hard and sell in a year? Or is my goal to create a business that I care more about than anybody else will? So I'm going to keep winning and we're going to be around in 10 years. Definitely. Well, I think that's a, a great place to stop. Um, I think this has just been an awesome episode, awesome interview. Awesome. Um, thanks so much for coming on the show. And I think there's going to be a lot of great takeaways for our audience. Um, of course. Thank you so much for having me. This is, yeah, been, I know I talked a lot, but this is, it's so fun to be on the opposite side of the mic. So <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Well, um, for people who aren't familiar with you, I don't know how that's possible, but if there are people who are listening, who aren't familiar with you, what's the best way for them to, uh, find you online and catch up? Yeah. Um, I'm super active on Twitter. Um, as I mentioned, I've been dubbed the mayor of D2C Twitter, which still boggles my mind that that happened. Um, I'm on Twitter at KD LaFrance. Uh, LaFrance spelled just like L-A France, like the country. Um, and then my podcast is Resilient Retail. If you search it, you will find 
my face uh, and a big red icon on any of the podcasting platforms or YouTube. Awesome. Well, thanks again. And um, look forward to uh, sharing this with people. Yeah. Thank you so much, David. Thank you. Modern Attention is brought to you by ConverseSmart, the agency that helps e-commerce brands like yours drive more incremental revenue by helping you build highly engaged, owned SMS and email audiences. Thanks for listening to another episode of our podcast. 